Well, amen. Give these guys a hand for leading us. Yeah, man, aren't you grateful for great musicians? And, uh, man, just to be able to come in here, and hopefully you're bundled up, staying warm. Uh, I want to welcome you from Kansas City, and I just want to say thank you for being here today. And uh, I want to say uh, thank you to Travis for reaching out to me and saying, hey, man, I'm going to get some rest. Would you uh, be willing to come in and step in? And, man, I'm just always so honored to be uh, with Wilderness Church. I love your pastor, and I love that he is getting some, some rest and relaxation. When I saw him this morning, I was like, hey, what are you doing here? And he's like, this is still my church, bro. I love Wilderness Church. And, and that's a good thing, that he's not on rest and like, man, I, I, I can't stand, I want, you know, that sort of thing. And so he was glad to be back here. And so thank you. Uh, Travis, for being a faithful ministry partner throughout the years and putting up with my preaching for uh, well over 10 years now. You've been a good friend, and we've been through some things before Christ and now following Christ as men of God trying to build his kingdom. And so just so grateful for what God is doing uh, here at Wilderness Church. And again, I come from Kansas City, and it's cold here, uh, but my wife sent me a text and said, hey, because you're out of town, um, I took the liberty just to have church at home uh, because it's minus 26 degrees and we do church in the downtown part of Kansas City, so there's no, like, really close parking. And I always ask anyone that serves at our church, you have a two-block or more uh, rule. You cannot, block, you cannot park two blocks or closer to the church. And so she's like, I wasn't going to get me and the kids out in minus 26-degree weather and walk, walk to the church campus. I was like, hey, that's fine. You do that. You do your thing, you know. Anyway, uh, this last week, we had a snow apocalypse happen in Kansas City. And uh, this is my family right here, my girls, anyway. That's my wife wearing my coveralls, and uh, anyway, but, and my daughters, I have three little girls, I'm so honored just to be a dad and a husband, and uh, man, we are just so excited about the season of life we are in, getting to build God's kingdom in Kansas City. Um, I want to introduce to you a name of God, and we recently have walked through a series at my home church called Names, and there's a, a quote by a famous theologian that basically just says this, what comes to mind when you think of God is the most important thing in your life. And so I don't know why you got here this morning, but hopefully you got here to learn something about God. Hopefully you got here so you're not going to waste your time, waste your time getting your family out on a cold morning. Hopefully you come here so that we can maximize the few minutes that we've been given together to open up God's Word and learn something new about God. There's a name of God that he gives us in Isaiah chapter 47. It says this. It says, Our Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, is his name, the Holy One of Israel. Now, I don't know what you know about God, but this phrase, this name, the Lord of hosts, when I first heard that, I was like, what does that even mean? What does it mean that God's saying, I want you to know that I'm the Lord of hosts? Like, when I think of a host, I think of like, a, like going to a restaurant. I think of like, a, you know, someone that's, that's hospitable, and, and that's not exactly what this means. It's not that God's a really good host, though he, I'm sure he is. It's not that God's a really good, you know, going to help you find a seat, though I'm sure he would if he was working at the restaurant. This, this word of God, this name of God, that he's the Lord of hosts, it literally means, translated in the Hebrew, Yahweh Saba. Yahweh is God's first name. It's, it's, it means I am that I am. I'm constant in this. And Saba is translated armies. When God says his name is the Lord of hosts, it means that he is the God of armies. So I, I've got a word for those that are in a battle this morning. I don't know what brought you here to church on a cold day, but more than likely you came here for some of you because you're going through something and you needed a word from God. I, I got a word this morning for somebody that's come from a battle recently. You know, maybe you've been through, through some things in 2023, and you're like, man, I'm so done with 2023. I'm so glad for 2024. I, I've got a word this morning for somebody that's headed into a battle. Maybe you can see kind of the clouds starting to accumulate in your life, and you're like, uh-oh, uh-oh, there she goes again. There he goes again. Uh-oh, puberty's on the horizon in our family. Uh-oh, I can see a battle is coming. Listen, I've got a word. Listen, you're either in a battle, you're either coming from a battle, or you're headed into a battle. So i got a word for everybody this morning. Amen? 
And we're going to look at the word of God this morning. We're going to see that you can know a God and you can know him personally. And he is Yahweh Saba. He is the Lord of hosts. He is the God of armies. Because you're going to need to know God this way if you're going to be able to face the battles ahead of you with courage. A couple of weeks ago, we got to go to, to Silver Dollar City in Branson, Missouri. I don't know if y'all been to Branson. I'm, I live in the Midwest now. Branson's like Christian Vegas. It's awesome, man. You know, but you can feel good after you leave. You can tell the stories after you leave. You know what I'm saying? And so, like, this is, this is the place to go. And you're, if you're in the Midwest, you take your family to Branson. And there's a place called Silver Dollar City. And it is like the Christian version of Disney World. And I would contend it is a happier place than Disney World. It's awesome, especially around Christmas time. They put up more lights. Like, they make the Milky Way galaxy jealous how many lights they got, you know? It's like so many Christmas lights. It's so fun. And we've been waiting to go to Silver Dollar City all year, especially with my youngest, Joy. Anna Joy is six years old. And we have like that, that measuring stick on the closet door, you know, where you like you measure the kid and then you write the date, you know what I'm talking about? And like, and like she's been going to that closet door like almost every month. Like, am I tall enough? Am I tall enough? How tall am I now, Daddy? Look at, measure me now. I'm like, you're about the same as you were last week, you know? And she's been measuring herself all week and she finally broke the 48-inch threshold. And she's been counting down the days for, us to, for her to break the 48-inch threshold because she knew that we were going to be going to Silver Dollar City in Branson, Missouri, and that you got to be 48 inches to ride the big girl rides. And so she's been like, all right. And when we hit 48 inches, we were like, all right. She's like, I could ride the big girl rides, you know. And so we get to Branson. We get to Silver Dollar City. We've been talking about this. And her older sisters, they've been like, all right, you, we're going to ride the big girl rides. And so she decides to go on what's called the powder keg. Now, the powder keg, it goes from zero to 60 in about two seconds. It, has, it like has zero you know, like drops and all the, I think they train NASA astronauts on the powder keg. It's one of those rides, you know what I'm saying? It's not the best first big kid ride to ride, you know? It's like, this is, we're going full tilt right here with the youngest, you know? And her 10-year-old sister's like, yeah, yeah, the powder keg, we need to do it. We need to do the powder keg. Like, we should do it on the front row. It'll be great. You'll love it. You've been waiting this your whole life. It's going to be awesome. You know, and like basically what they do with the roller coaster, they get you right on the edge of death and they say, oh, just kidding. You know, like that's what it's like, this roller coaster. And so sure enough, like she's like skipping to the powder kick. Here she is right here on the front row. You can see her right there, little six-year-old over there. You know, she, she doesn't know what she's getting herself into, y'all. <laughs> she has no idea what is about to happen. You know, and her 10-year-old sister right there, she has that kind of vindictive look like most women have, you know. I'm just kidding. Anyway, like, she just has that big older sibling, like, you know, I, I've, got the, I've got her. You know, and, so, and then you see my wife and my other daughter behind her, and then I was going to be riding right, right behind them. And, man, it, and it was one of those things, man, it took off, and, uh, you know, it was, it was faster than she thought it was. It was scarier than she saw, thought it would be, but she made it, y'all. And I think we unleashed the Kraken with this younger. You see her right here after the ride? I took a picture of her after. Look at that face right there. She's like, let's do it again. Let's do it again. You know, it, it scared her, but she had the courage to face the thing that was in front of her because she knew people that had gone before her, and she knew that her father was behind her. That she knew that, that she was not facing this thing alone, and so she had the courage to go through it, and she did it with excitement, and she did, she did it with courage, and she said, man, let me do it again. The reason why I share that with you is because God is inviting us into a powder keg called following him. And when you choose to follow Jesus Christ, there is going to be some opposition in your life. When you choose to take a stand for God, there's going to be some things that are unexplainable at times in your life that are going to stand against you. If you choose to try to walk the straight and try to walk the narrow, there's going to be some battles that you're going to have to face. But listen, you need to take heart. You have not, you're not going to walk a path that no one has walked before. And your father is going to be right behind you, and you're going to know the God of armies 
when you face the battle. This is a message for people that are in a battle, headed to a battle, or coming from a battle that need to know the Lord of hosts, that need to know the God of angel armies and that he is fighting on your behalf. You're going to have to have the courage to face the battle. If you're taking notes, I've titled this message, God of Armies. God of Armies. And we're going to look at a really famous story in the, in the Bible, and you're going to see that you're going to have to recognize the battle, reject the lies. Before we leave this morning, I'm going to call you to rely on the Lord of hosts or the God of armies. If you have your Bible, 2 Chronicles chapter 32, 2 Chronicles chapter 32, I'm going to give you some time to get there. You're probably not real familiar with 2 Chronicles. Uh, you know, if you're reading the Bible in a year, you're, you're doing good, but you probably hadn't made it there. 2 Chronicles is in the first half of your Bible or the Old Testament. And if you find like First and Second Samuel, you find First and Second Kings, and then Chronicles, you're going to be get there. Second Chronicles, chapter thirty-two, and this is kind of the history of Israel, God's people, and their kings. And there's a king named Hezekiah, and Hezekiah he steps onto the scene after his dad Ahaz had had messed some things up. And Hezekiah was twenty-five; he was a young adult when he became the king, and he turned the nation of God back to God. Like it's this incredible story of this guy getting to power and saying, "Man." There's some things that ain't right in this country. We got to fix them. We got to kick out the demons and we got to kick out the bad things. We got to start having church. We got to turn the nation back to God. And listen, they turned back to God. And like Hezekiah, he's doing the thing he's supposed to be doing. He's doing a great job. And later on in his kingdom, later on in his rulership, he faced a great battle and maybe the greatest battle of his entire life. And here's what it says in 2 Chronicles chapter 32, starting in verse 1. It says, after these deeds of faithfulness, Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, came and entered Judah. And he encamped against himself, or excuse me, he encamped against the fortified cities, thinking to win them over to himself. Note this real quick. There's an enemy that's coming for you. And there's an enemy that is very patient in every one of your lives. He's waiting for the right time to make the move. Some of you, you have to mature into the right season of life to warrant the attack of the enemy in your life. Some of you, he's waiting until you've been married 15 years. Some of you, he's waiting until you've, you've empty nested. Some of you, he's waiting until you got the, promo, the promotion to send his greatest onslaught and attack against you. That Hezekiah, he didn't warrant the attention of this Assyrian king until he had gotten to some places, until he had arrived at some places. Some of us, we have to grow to 48 inches in order to warrant some rise in life. That the enemy, he plays the long game. And some of you are here, and the enemy is camped right outside of your household. And he's waiting for the right move to bring an attack against you in your marriage. He's waiting for the right move to bring an attack against you and your family. He's, wait, he's waiting for the right time to bring an attack against you and your character. He's waiting for the right time until you get enough influence that if he can bring you down, it's going to bring a lot down with you. And that's what's happening with Hezekiah and God's people. He's waiting for the right time. It says this in verse 2. It says, and when Hezekiah saw... I'm not going to try to say his name again. I, I said it good the first time. I just feel like if I say his name, I may cuss. And I don't want to do that here, Travis. I just, I don't want to, you know. And so I'm just going to say that guy, okay? So when Hezekiah saw that dude, that guy, the king, you know, he had come. Uh, and that his purpose was to make war against Jerusalem. I love this. Hezekiah says he consulted with his leaders and commanders to stop the water from the springs, which were outside the city, and, and, and they helped him. And thus many people gathered together who stopped all the springs, in the brook that ran through the land, saying, Why should the king of Assyria come and find much water? I love this. So practical. And then he goes on. He just says this, and he strengthened himself. He built up the wall that was broken, and he raised up the towers, and, and he built up another wall outside. He also repaired the Milo in the city of David, and, and he made weapons and shields in abundance. He's, he's getting himself ready. And then he, he sent military captains over the people, and he gathered them together to him in the open square of the city gate. 
This is maybe my favorite part. Hezekiah says, and then he encouraged them. He gave them encouragement, saying, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid nor dismayed before the king of Assyria, nor before all the multitude that is with him. For there are more with us than with him. With him is an arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. And I love this, that not only Hezekiah rallied them together, but it says the people were like, yeah, yeah, ah, you know. They were strengthened by the words of Hezekiah, the king of Judah. Point number one, if you're going to know the Lord of battles, if you're going to know the Lord of hosts, if you're going to know the guard of, of armies, you're going to first have to recognize the battle. Point number one, you've got to recognize the battle. Hezekiah is facing a real enemy. He's not burying his head in the sand and just pretending like this is just all going to go away. It'll just, it'll just dissipate. It's no big deal. He's saying, I'm going to recognize the battle that is in front of me. I'm going to face the enemy. I'm going to do some things to prepare the city, and I'm going to encourage the people. Again, what battle are you facing this morning? Some of you have come in here, and the battle that you're facing is a personal battle. It's something that you've brought in here. And like you look back on the last decade of your life, and your New Year's resolution has been the same for a decade. And you're like, it's my time just to, you know, recommit to getting sober. You know, it's my time to recommit to doing better, you know. And the battle that you're facing is you. You're the worst enemy in your life. As you look back on your life, you're the common denominator to the dysfunction. But maybe for now, like, you're, you're in the time where you're, you're finally ready to admit that. You quit bl blaming and you start looking in the mirror. Maybe that's where you're at today. Maybe the battle that you're facing is a family battle. Maybe you've been married for some time or you, or you should get married. You've been in a relationship, whatever it is. And like there, but there's just like we're just at a stalemate in some areas. Maybe the battle that you're facing is a financial battle. You're like, man, I don't know. I've got more month than I've got money. And I don't know how I'm going to make it. And maybe your battle that you're facing this morning, maybe it's a, it's a health battle or something else. I don't know what you're facing, but I want you to draw to mind what is the battle that you're facing. And listen, you need to know this that there is an enemy that is coming against everything that God is trying to do in your life. Jesus has come to give you life and life abundantly. He wants to see you thriving. He wants to see you running in peace and hope and love and joy. And there is an enemy that has come to steal, kill, and destroy everything that God's trying to do in your life. Everything that is precious in your life, more than likely, is a gift from God Almighty, and you see it that way. And there is an enemy that is trying to erode all of that in your life so that you'll just continue to perpetuate some of the things maybe that you were frustrated about in your family of origin, so that you'll blow up the things that are most precious in your life. There's an enemy that is coming against you. And so we need to respond to this enemy the same way that Hezekiah did in many ways. The first thing that we see that he did in verses 2 through 4 is that he cut off the enemy's supply. He cut off the enemy's supply. Let me ask you this. What are you supplying the enemy with that you need to cut off? That makes sense? What are the streams of water that you are allowing to flow outside of your city, so to speak? The areas of temptation that you're just allowing to, to run rampant that you need to cut off. Maybe it's a flirtatious relationship. You know, holiday season, somebody hits you up on Facebook like, oh, it's been a while. You know, and you just started talking, catching up, and you hadn't told your husband about it. Because it's innocent right now, you know. Y'all just, you know, y'all just talking. It ain't, it, ain't, we ain't, it ain't like weird. We're just catching up. But your husband doesn't know about it. And it's feeding something. Maybe it's a flirtatious relationship and you need to DM that person and just say, hey, hey, I can't talk anymore ever again. Sorry. You know. Maybe somebody slid into your DMs. Some of y'all are too old to even know what that means. You know what I'm saying? But they just like hit you up out of nowhere, you know. 
and you started feeding that relationship, maybe it's a flirtatious relationship. Maybe it's just too much. You need to cut off the supply too much. You know what I'm saying? Like too much food, too much drink, too much social media, too much, too much sleep. I don't know what it is. Too much video games. I don't know. But maybe you got just too much. You have too much excess in your life. And listen, there are many things that make great servants but terrible masters. And some of you are allowing the waters to flow outside of your camp, and you need to cut them off. What are you supplying the enemy with that you need to cut off? And why are you supplying him with that? Hezekiah comes and like, man, we ain't letting Ozark into the enemy. We ain't letting that happen, you know. We're getting rid of the deciding. Why should the king have water? Let's cut off the supply. Listen, you won't see a victory because many of you are in the bed with the enemy. Just like the old black preacher used to say, you can't shack up with the devil and expect God to pay the rent, right? You need to cut off the enemy's supply. The number, one, the number two thing you got to do if you're going to recognize the battles, you got to reinforce what's weak. You got to reinforce what's weak. That's what Hezekiah is doing. He's like, man, we got an attack coming against us. We got to look around and we got to repair the wall. We got to get the armory right. We got to get our guns. We got to, well, they didn't have guns. We got to get our swords and our shields. We got to repair and we got to get, we got to get, we get ready. We got to reinforce what is weak. Let me ask you this. What are the flabby areas of your life? What are the areas that need repairing? Some of you, you need to go through a process this year where you get ready physically because there's something that you're about to face and you're physically not ready for it. Some of you, you need to get ready mentally and emotionally. Some of you need to go see a counselor this year because you're still dealing with the trauma of your childhood, but you're 45. And then now you're transferring that to your family and you don't know what's going on. You need to repair what's weak in your life. Some of you, you need to repair what's weak spiritually. You're headed into a time and it's going to be oppression. It's going to be difficult and you need to be ready spiritually. You need to get a copy of God's word. You need to learn how to pray. You need to get involved in church so that you're ready for the battle that's ahead. Hezekiah, that's what he's doing. He's reinforcing what's weak. And then the third thing that we see that he's doing is that he is rallying around a battle cry. I told you guys earlier, I love this. You know, he gets the people together. He's like, let's meet, let's meet in downtown. Let's get everybody together. I got a speech for him. And he gets them all together, and it says that he wanted to encourage them. I'm convinced that many of you are growing weary in the battle today because you just lack courage. You need somebody to come up alongside and say, you're doing great. You're doing a good job. You keep after it. You keep loving those children. You keep loving that woman. You keep walking the straight and narrow. You keep being a man of character. You keep being a woman of character. You keep being faithful to keep show up. Showing up Sunday after Sunday, you keep being involved. You're doing good. You've got this. I think many of us, we just lack encouragement. And typically, encouragement, when that goes, that begins the pathway to destruction. But Hezekiah is rallying the people together. He says, man, if we're going to win this battle, I've got to get everybody together, and I've got to get the morale up. And he encourages them, and he says this. He says, be strong and courageous. I love this. There's this ancient Hebrew battle cry that goes like this. Rock, kasak. Don't you love that? Rock, kasak, it just sounds good, right? I just imagine a bunch of Hebrew warriors just beating their shields, you know, and beating their chest going, rock, kasak, rock, kasak, you know, just fires me up. And they had a battle cry. I don't know if you've been watching any football this weekend or if you watched any of the, the college football. You know, like, I, you know, I love football because it, it gets men together and there's usually a battle cry, you know. And, like, and, and last night, you know, we came to the city, we watched the Chiefs win. It was amazing. Today we watched the Cowboys win. Praise God, you know. Praise God. I believe it. I believe it, right? And, uh, and so don't let us down this year. Come on, CD. Come on, baby. Anyway, so the guys, they get together, and there's a battle cry that rallies people around one another and around a mission. Listen, God wants you to have a battle cry. 
He wants you to have something that's going to give you a boost of courage to go face the day ahead. And he wants you to have a battle cry. And there's this ancient Hebrew battle cry. Again, it goes like this, rock kasak. And it comes from this phrase, be strong and courageous. This word strong in the Hebrew is the word kazak. And, and kazak is the rock-like ump of the spiritual zealous heart. It's the tenacity of soul. It's the gritting of teeth toward the battle ahead. It's a resolve of the soul to the glory of God. It's the tensing of the soldier's muscles before the battle. It's literally translated strength. And listen, when you're strong, you have kazak. But I think we've lost our kazak in the, in the church today. We've lost our kazak in the culture today. I think I see a lot of Christians that when they start trying to live for God and then they get some opposition, they're just like, I, 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 didn't, think, I didn't think it was going to be like this. I didn't, I didn't think the, the, the enemy was going to come for me. I, I think that a lot of times we think that it's just going to be comfortable, placid waters and that finally, once we're right with God, he's just going to bless everything and it's going to be smooth sailing. That's not my experience. It seems like the more I try to live for God, the more friction I have in my life. It seems like the more I try to honor the Lord and take ground for Jesus, the more that the enemy comes against me in ways that are, that are it, like unexplainable. And you're going to need strength if you're going to live for Jesus. You're going to need strength if you're going to be the man that God's called you to be. You're going to need strength if you're going to be the mother that God's called you to be or be the woman that God's called you to be. I'm so done with weak Christians who are surprised by the battle, right? We need to be strong and we need to be courageous. Rock kasak, this word courage, translated here in the Hebrew is, is the word amats. And it's literally heaven, heavenly audacity. It's rushing headlong in the battle without pausing to consider the possibilities. It's confidence in the victory. It's, it's boarding the powder keg when you're six years old and barely 48 inches and saying, let's go, right? That's the mots. That's the courage. And you're going to need a mots to face the battle. And so this Hebrew battle cry, rock, kasak, and a mots, that's what they would say. They're beating their, sh their shields and they're, and they're slapping their swords saying, rock, kasak, and a mots. And they're saying, be strong and courageous. Uh, there's a man named C.T. Studd, love that name, right? He's a famous missionary, and he just has these one-liners. I mean, he's got this quote, and here's what he says about the strength and about the mission of God. He says this, some want to live within the sound of church or chapel bells. He says, I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. The C.T. Studd, he had Kasak and he had Amats. He knew that I wanted to take the fight to the enemy, and he had a mentality that we need to reclaim as a church today that we need to be ready for the battle that lies ahead, and we need to have courage in the battle that we may be in today. His battle cry was, be strong and courageous. I wonder, what's your battle cry this year? What's the thing that you're going to run to this year when the going gets tough? What, what are you going to run to this year when, when, you, when you, you, you feel like snapping on your kid, you know? And you're like, man, I'm gonna, I'll kill all three of you and enjoy making three just like it. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, when are you gonna, what are you going to run to? Y'all know what I'm talking about. When are you going to run to when your wife or your husband is like tripping, right? What are you going to run to when your boss is like, I can't deal with this dude no more. I can't, I'm about to snap on it, right? What are you going to run to when you, when not only when you have a day of difficulty, but when you have a season of difficulty? What are you going to run to when you get the diagnosis? What are you going to run to when you get the news? What is going to be your battle cry this year that is going to give you the courage to be able to face the days ahead? We need a battle cry. And Hezekiah, he knew this of his people, that they needed a battle cry. So he comes to them and he says, be strong and courageous. And I love this. 
because Hezekiah is not, he's not drumming up something new. Like when he gets all the people together and his, and his, you know, his assistant says, here's the speech, sir. And he looks at it and says, no, 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 that won't do. And then his other assistant says, well, here's the speech, sir, that I wrote. And he looks at it and says, no, 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 that, that won't do. And then somebody walks up and says, here's the Bible, sir. And he looks at it and says, okay, that'll do. And he opens up to the words of Joshua, one of his forefathers, who led the people of God hundreds of years before. And when he was rallying them, when they were getting ready to take the promised land, he got them together and he said this, Rock, Kasak, and Amats, be strong and courageous. God has gone before us and he will give us the land ahead. And Hezekiah said, that sounds good. I like that battle cry. Let's just run that one back. The reason why I love this is because, listen, your battle cry, it should be anchored in the Bible. You don't have to go drum up something clever and creative. Just read the word of God. And God has given us a, a litany of battle cries that we can hang on to. So here's some battle cries maybe that you could have for this year. Here's one. Uh, Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Now here's a battle cry. There is no weapon that will be formed against me that will prosper. Now here's a battle cry. Do not fear. Do not be dismayed. The Lord your God is with you. Here's another one. I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave his son for me. Here's a battle cry. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And when the enemy brings the onslaught of lies against you, you should be ashamed of yourself. And who do you think you are trying to stand for God? And who do you think you are trying to live for God? And bring the accusations and the shame and the guilt of your past and dig up all those things that you buried a long time ago. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's a battle cry. And the battle cry gives you courage, and it gives courage to the people around you. We had a battle cry for our family, and the battle cry for us was God, just God is with us. God be with us. We went through some battles last year that God had led me and my family to start a new movement of, of the church and of the Lord in downtown Kansas City. And, man, we, we said, man, we're going to go to the center of the fight in one of the major metropolitan areas in the nation. And we're right in the arts district of downtown Kansas City doing this new work. We opened up a church in April. And, and like, we got into this, and, I, and I, was, I don't know why I was surprised, but we started this experience in battles in our family. We got a, a chronic diagnosis in one of my kids' lives. We're dealing with medical issues. You know, we, uh, we, had, to, we had to reinforce some things in my marriage as I was getting ready to go into 2023. Because I knew that we were going to be headed into a battle and that her and I needed to be tight and lock shields together. And then, like, we had some personnel issues. I mean, in one week, I had one of the guys that worked for me said, man, I'm thinking about killing myself. I said, well, we need to meet tonight. And he said, I, well, I need to meet with my wife tonight. And, and that same day, somebody called that, that worked for me, one of our ministry leaders, and had to come over and tell me that she had slept with her boyfriend. And I'm like, what the heck is going on? Like, this is unexplainable, irrational. These are people of God. These aren't just like, you know, scrubs that we like, yeah, you'll work at the church, you know. These were like the full sold out followers of Jesus Christ. And I'm like, oh, yeah, we're in a battle. That's what's going on, you know. We were in a battle this year. And listen, don't be surprised when the enemy comes against all that God is trying to do in your life. But you're going to have to face him. You can't bury your head in the sand and think it's not coming for you. You're going to have to face him. You're going to have to cut off the enemy's supply. You're going to have to reinforce what is weak. And you're going to need a battle cry. If you're going to know the Lord of hosts, the text goes on and it tells us the king's reply. 
uh, the king of Assyria, says that he starts hurling fear tactics and mocking Hezekiah, and he's lying about the people of God, and he's trying to incite fear in the people, and he's hurling these lies, and he's trying to demoralize the people. You can read all the details on your own time, but let's just skip down to verse 16. It says this, furthermore, his servant spoke against the Lord God and against his servant Hezekiah. And he also wrote letters to revile the Lord God of Israel and to speak against him, saying, As the gods of the nations of the other lands have not delivered their people from my hand. This is the enemy. He says, So the God of Hezekiah will not deliver his people from my hand. And note this, it says, And they called out with a loud voice in Hebrew to the people of Jerusalem who were on the wall. And they were trying to frighten them and trouble them that they might take the city. Point number two, if you're going to know the Lord of hosts, if you're going to face the battle of courage, not only are you going to have to recognize the battle, but point number two, you're going to have to reject the lies. You're going to have to reject the lies. Man, our enemy is a master at hurling lies at us to discourage us from trusting God and to discourage us from following good leadership because the enemy wants to discourage us so that we'll disbelieve that God is able and that God will do and that God is who he says he is. That the enemy is trying to undo all that God is trying to do in your life. And one of the greatest ways that he does that is he just hurls lies at you, man. Yeah, God was good for your mama, but he ain't going to do that for you. Do you really believe that? You think God's going to help you with it? You know, he, and he's a master at it. And so this, this, this master lying king of Assyria is doing what the enemy does in all of our lives. See, there are four strategies of the enemy that we see present here. The first strategy is this. It's, uh, it's intimidation. We see this in verses 10, verses 13 and 14. It's the king of Assyria. It's his enemy. He's saying, man, you can't beat us. You know, this is, this is the, the thing that comes into your life that says, man, you, you can't kick this addiction. Man, you can't get free from this thing. You can't really save your marriage. You can't do this. And it's just he's trying to intimidate you and trying to say you can't and deny, and he's trying to beat you down. That's what the enemy does. I wonder, how's the enemy trying to intimidate you? What's he doing in your life, in your family's life, in your kid's life, trying to intimidate you? The second way, the second strategy of the enemy is doubt. This, we see this in 11, 14, and 15. Basically, it's, it's the king of Assyria saying, man, God won't be there for you. He won't deliver you. I wonder, how is the enemy trying to get you to doubt God's goodness in your life? How's the enemy, trying to, uh, or how's the enemy attacking you, trying to call you to, to doubt God's faithfulness in your life? The third enemy of the strategy, or third strategy of the enemy that we see here is, is ridicule. In verse 16, it says he insulted God. He insulted his people. How's the enemy insulting you? What is the enemy trying to do to demoralize you from being the man or the woman that God's called you to be? And he's coming for you. And perhaps the most pervasive one is, is just accusations. This is the fourth enemy of the strategy, fourth strategy of the enemy, excuse me, is accusations. It says here in verse in verse uh, 18, it says that they, they gathered and they shouted in Hebrew. Notice that detail of the story. The Assyrians from Nineveh, they, they, they didn't speak Hebrew. They learned the language of the people they were trying to intimidate. They learned the language of the people they were trying to sow seeds of doubt. See, the enemy speaks your language. The enemy knows your twang. The enemy knows your dialect. And the enemy knows how to speak in such a way that is very intimate and very personal in your life. And the enemy is going to try to speak in a very personal way, and he's going to bring accusations against you. Revelation 12 says that he does this night and day. It says that the enemy accuses the brethren night and day, trying to, trying to demoralize you, trying to tear you down, 
trying to whittle you down so that you'll then act on that selfish tendency, so you'll then act on that anger or that lust or whatever, because the enemy has whittled you down and intimidated you and accused you and sowed seeds of doubt and ridiculed God before you. So what are the lies that the enemy is hurling at you? When, when we started this thing last year, I started like having these feelings when I was getting in front of people and like leading this new movement in Kansas City. Um, like I would, I would stand up and I would have this like this voice in my head saying, you're not the guy. <laughs> there's, there's people that are smarter than you. And I was like, I know, just knock it off already. All right, I get it. You know, and like I'd have this voice that's like, man, you're not the guy. Like there's people that are, there are better leaders than you. I was like, I know, but I, but I don't and it's what psychologists call the imposter syndrome. It's where you feel like that there's someone better. You feel like that you're an imposter in front of these people, and like you're just kind of faking it until you make it. And like it was this, it was a pervasive lie that was happening in my life. And, and I just, I, here's how I responded. Yeah, there probably is someone smarter than me. There probably is a better leader than me. But God has called me to this thing, and God has equipped me to this thing, and God has qualified me for this thing. And because I know Jesus, I've got the right to do this thing, right? And so listen, if you're trying to stand for God in some sort of place, that, whether that be in your household, whether that be in your business, or whether that be in a church, I don't know, you're going to have some sort of accusation like, nah, bro, that ain't you. That ain't, mm-mm. No, there's someone, there's, no, we, no you, need, you don't need to do that. And you need to have a battle cry. You need to be able to reject those lies and insert the truth so that you can face the battle ahead and get the victory because your morale is so important if you're going to stand for God. Dwight Eisenhower, famous president and general, he said this, that morale is the greatest single factor in successful wars. It's not bullets and bombs. It's the morale of the army. And if you're going to be a church that is strong, And if you're going to be able to face the battles this year, and if you're going to be able to do the things that God has called you to do this year, you're going to need morale. You're going to need hope. You're going to need optimism. You're going to need to believe that the Lord of hosts is battling before you and with you in this this season and in this situation. And that's what Hezekiah is doing. He's saying, man, we're going to reject these lies. We're going to gather everybody together, and we're going to run towards this enemy. And then we see what happens next. When the lies come at us this year, the way that we're going to reject them, when the enemy comes against us this year, the way that we're going to battle against them is by no other means than what Hezekiah did. Here's what it says in verse 20. It says, now because of this, because of all of the intimidation, because of all of the threats, because of all of the opposition, King Hezekiah and the prophet Isaiah, the guy that wrote the book Isaiah, the son of Amos, they prayed and cried out to heaven. Point number three, and finally, if you're taking notes this morning, you can write this down. You're going to have to rely on the Lord of hosts. We're in a battle, church. There's going to be things coming against you this year, and you're going to have to learn that you're going to have to recognize that battle. You're not exempt from the battle, okay? No one gets a pass from the attack of the enemy. In fact, the more you try to stand for God, the more he's going to stand against you. You've got to recognize it, man. You've got to do some things to get ready for it. Don't be fooled and don't be surprised this year. Then you've got to reject the lies. There's going to be lies that come against you. And you've got to be willing to stand up against them and say, that is not true. That is not going to live in my household. That's not going to live in my mind. And then last, if you're going to face the battle, you're going to have to rely on the Lord of hosts. You get the picture, right? Hezekiah, he's done everything he can do. He's readied himself. He's readied his city. He's rallied the people. He's cut off the water supply. 
And then it comes to the point of desperation for Hezekiah. And he grabs one of his best friends that he knows loves the Lord. And they cry out to heaven and they pray. Now, it probably wasn't like a cute prayer. You know, cute prayers, you know? Like, if y'all want, want to come up here and, and grab one of these pastors by the hand after service, and we'll just lift up some of your needs before the Lord. And, you know, you walk up there and say, okay, what's going on? Well, I'm, I have an unspoken. <laughs> and it's okay, well, let's just lift that up to the Lord, you know. Father, God, you're so good. And, Lord, we just bring up my sister's unspoken prayer request. You just, it probably wasn't one of those, you know. It seems like the situation was a little bit more desperate than that. And he's not praying this cute little prayer that's just quiet and somber, though God can move in those. He got to the point where he cried out to God. He cried out to heaven. You ever been there before? You ever cried out to the Lord? Has it ever gotten so bleak in your situation where you're like, man, God, I, if you don't move in this situation, some of you, you haven't got to that place yet. But for many of us, we've been in that place where, God, if you don't move in this situation, we're toast. Listen, you're going to learn this in your Christian life, that prayer is the battlefield, that prayer is your declaration of dependence on the Lord of hosts, that prayer is the language of the reliance, that prayer is saying, God, I can't do this, but you can. And I'm going to cry out to you on behalf of my prodigal son. I'm going to cry out to you on behalf of my daughter. I'm going to cry out to you on behalf of my family. I'm going to cry out to you on behalf of my company. I'm going to cry out to you on behalf of my life. God, I'm going to cry out to you. But if you're anything like me, and maybe you've been in you know, places like this, and you've heard somebody say, man, you've got you to pray, man. You've got to start crying out to the Lord. And you're like, man, that, that sounds great, but what, like, what do you say? Like, exactly, what does that look like? What do you, you know, I think sometimes we'll come into places like this, and we'll be charged to go do something spiritual, and then we'll never say, this is actually what you do. And so I know for me, like, I, I remember, like, coming to Christ, and somebody saying, hey, you're going to need this, and you're going to need to pray, but good luck, you know? And I was like, okay, how do you read this thing? How do you, what do you do when you pray? Let me give you something that you can pray today, that you can begin to cry out to God in a way that is very clear, and I think will focus your mind in a way that will be very, very beneficial to you. You can just simply pray the names or the characteristics of God according to the alphabet. You just write down A to Z on a sheet of paper, and, and then just write down different attributes of God. And you can start just, just by that. You start crying out to God. God, this is who you are. You can go home today, do this. You can cry out to God and say, God, you are almighty, eh? God, you're B, a battler. You're C, a conqueror. You're D, a deliverer. God, you're everlasting. God, you're faithful. You're a guardian. You're H, a helper. You're incomparable. God, you're J, just. God, you're a king. God, you're the Lord of hosts. God, you're almighty. You're in the name above all names. God, you're O, omniscient, omnipotent, omni-everything. You're P-powerful. God, you're Q, the quintessential savior. You're a rescuer. You're a strong tower. You're triumphant. God, you're unstoppable. God, you're victorious. God, you're a warrior. God, you're extraordinary. God, you're Yahweh. And God, you're zealous for your name. You can just write the alphabet, and you can begin to pray the names of God. You can pray the characteristics of God and cry out to him. So that you can inform your mind of the one whom has gone before you. You can inform your mind and your heart of the one who is battling with you. And you can take courage to face the battle. Cry out to him. Call upon his name. This name, Lord of hosts, is the name that Isaiah uses to encourage Hezekiah. If you read this encounter in 2 Kings, which is a, a parallel reading of what's happening, you'll find some detail that you don't get in 2 Chronicles. But in 2 Kings chapter 19, basically you get the prayer in detail that Hezekiah prayed. 
And then Isaiah, who was a prophet, he gets a word from God that he shares with Hezekiah. And he says this, basically, Hezekiah, we've asked God to move, and he's about to move in a way that is going to be memorable and undeniable. And then he looks at Hezekiah, and he says this. He says, the Lord of hosts will do this. He says, Yahweh Saba, he'll do this. That the God of armies, he will do this. Listen, when you cry out to God, the Lord will show up. When you cry out, he will show up. And that's what's happening here. And it goes on in verse 21, it says this. It says, then the Lord sent an angel who cut down every mighty man of valor, leader, and captain in the camp of the king of Assyria. When you read in 2 Kings, when you read this encounter, you hear that the number of the Assyrians was 185,000 people. That's like all of Tyler and then some standing outside of the church right now saying, we're going to kill you, right? I mean, that's a lot of people, and they died in one night. How about that? How about those apples, king of Assyria? Here we go. It says this. So he returned shamefaced, this is the king of Assyria, to his own land. And when he had gone into the temple of his God, some of his own offspring, they struck him down with the sword there. Thus the Lord saved Hezekiah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem from the hand of Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, and from all the hand, or excuse me, and from the hand of all others, and guided them on every side. I love this. I love that when an enemy comes against God's people, this is a foreshadow of what's going to happen to Satan. This is a foreshadow of what's going to happen to the devil, that there is a devil that is coming for every one of you. There is an enemy that is against all that God is trying to do in your life. But make no mistake, he is a conquered foe, and that he will go shamefaced to the pit of hell where he will be destroyed forever. We're, we're, not, we're, not, uh, we're not here from a place of, I don't know how it's going to end. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if we're going to win. I'm not real sure. It's not like when we're watching the Cowboys game today, and we don't know what's going to happen. That's not Christianity. We know that the victory has been secured, that Jesus has conquered the one that is coming against us. And so when we read this, this is the outcome, not only of this Assyrian king, but this is the outcome of the enemy that is coming against you and I. And that should give us courage that we're, we're fighting from a place of victory. We're not fighting for victory. Listen, I'm praying for you, Wilderness Church. I'm praying that this would be a year where you would have the courage to face the battle that you're going to be facing. I'm praying that this would be a year where you trust God to supply the victory. My daughter, Anna Joy, when I told you earlier, she got on the front row of the powder keg, you know, and she had a little crazy face, like, let's do it again. I told you this earlier, but I just want to remind you of this. The thing that gave her the courage to face the challenge was that she knew that people had gone before her. Her sisters told her about this ride. You're going to love Powder Keg. It's amazing. She knew that, that her parents were with her and that she wasn't going to be facing this thing alone. And listen, you need to know that the battles that you may be facing to get sober this year, the battles you may be facing to reconnect and rekindle your marriage this year, the battles you may be facing to begin to be the spiritual leader for your children this year, the battles that you're facing to be a man of God or a woman of God in the workplace this year, the battle that you're facing to have to end that toxic relationship this year, the battle that you're facing to go through that health issue and that diagnosis this year, the battle that you're facing to go through that financial situation where you're going to honor God with your finances and do the right thing, the battle that you're facing, listen, has been faced by people before. But the Bible tells us that we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses and that people have walked the journey that you and I are walking before. And we need to look to those men and women of God of past and find courage to walk our path because they did the hard things. They went to the mission field. 
They planted the churches. They, they got connected. They got free. They did the things that you and I are facing. And it says, let us run the race with perseverance. And let us cast off the sin that so easily entangles us. When we draw to mind those that have gone before us, and then it calls us to look to Jesus, who is the author and the perfecter of our faith, knowing that our God is with us on the ride of this life. And that he faced death, and he faced sin, and he defeated it. And he is with you. That the Lord of hosts is with you in whatever battle you may be facing this year. And so Wilderness Church, let's face the battle this year, amen? Rock, Kasak, Wilderness Church. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for today. God, thank you so much for this word. Ali, thank you that, that we don't have some kind of mamby-pamby, trite God that we have to defend. That if we got in a wrestling match with Jesus, we think we would win. No, you're the God of the galaxies. You kill 185,000 military soldiers in one night. And so, God, would you, would you be with us? Would, would, you, would you help us in the battle? God, I want to pray for the, the person here right now that, that is in the battle, man. And though they're hearing these words and they want to be encouraged, the reality of their situation is just daunting. It, it feels like they have 185,000 demons outside of their house waiting to, to, to poach and to pounce upon them. And they're just having a hard time. God, I pray for them that you would give them courage in a way that only you can. God, I pray that you would help the, the family that's here that is trying to figure things out and doesn't know what to do spiritually and doesn't know. God, I just pray that you would help them, that they, that they would face the battle of trying to lead in this culture and lead a family where it just seems like so many things are coming against our children, against our marriages. And God, I pray that they would, they would be faithful to trust you in the midst of the battle. God, I pray for the person that's here that's facing some sort of health issue or some sort of just difficulty. God, I just ask that you would move, that you would send them somebody that would encourage them. God, I pray for the person that, that knows the stream that is supplying the enemy that's running outside of their life. I pray that they would have the courage to cut it off, that they would make the call, they would pour it out, they would, they would cancel the thing, they would, they would get the person out of their life, they would do what they need to do, God. And for the person that's having the onslaught of lies, God, I pray that they would know that the enemy is a liar. That's his native tongue. And they would know that you, you cannot lie. And so I pray that they would put more faith in what you say about them than their past, than their shame, than their, than their guilt. And they would quit giving the enemy territory in their life. God, we're putting the enemy on watch today. God, we're, we're, we're claiming that you are in the battle with us, that you're the Lord of hosts. And God, would that inform our minds so that we would believe it in our hearts, so that we would walk in it this week. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.